Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Mike Clary from Calgary, Alberta and Palm Desert, California. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to your weekly tennis podcast. And thank you to Mike from both Calgary and the Palm Desert uh, for his uh, teleportation or his ability to be in two places at once, and for brilliantly introducing our pod today. If you would like to introduce a pod, then you can do just that by becoming a friend of the pod at intro level. And in terms of incentives to become a friend of the pod, we got a big one uh, because we have a new fantastic competition exclusively for friends of the tennis podcast. Thanks to the ITF. We have two tickets to the semi-finals of the Billie Jean King Cup Finals by Gamebridge in Glasgow, Scotland, uh, on Saturday the 12th of November. The winner will also get accommodation for two nights and two return flights to Glasgow from EU or UK airports only. Sad to have to say EU or UK. Um, Just become a friend of the Tennis Podcast before the competition closes on Thursday, this Thursday, the 26th of October at 11.59pm UK time. And you can enter to be in with the chance of winning that fantastic prize. Uh, Matt's here. Hello, Matt. It's me. Hi. Oh, Matt, that was excellent. (laughs) Uh, I've been saying and, that all weekend. And maybe justifies the fact that David's not here because he wouldn't get that reference. <laughs> and in fact, maybe lots of our listeners don't get that reference. But if you don't, then get yourself listening to Midnight's Taylor Swift's excellent new album. Sorry, David. Uh, I get to run the show when you're not here and I'm already talking about <laughs> Taylor Swift and Brexit. David... <laughs> is uh, sunning himself in Croatia. Mm, yes, and already has a tan. Mm, he claims it's the light. That was a tan. Yeah, literally the evening he arrived. He has sent us uh, four sunset photos already. He's only been there one night. I counted them. <laughs> and with everyone, he said, this will be my last one. I'm not going to rub it in your faces anymore. I mean, literally, there was a storm howling outside both of our windows and David is sending a sort of... Golden Hour, the David Law collection on WhatsApp. So uh, thanks for that. Uh, No, it's good. It's good to see David sort of uh, recharging Mm. in the Croatian sun. So enjoy your holiday, David, while we talk tennis. Now, we will be talking about the very much tennis that has been happening this week in Guadalajara, Antwerp, Stockholm, Napoli, It's all been happening. There have been uh, movers and shakers in both the races to Fort Worth and uh, to Turin, of course, in the women's and men's finals races. But before any of that, I'm afraid we have to talk about some really significant breaking news uh, in the last few days in the tennis world, which is uh, relating to Simona Halep, the two-time Grand Slam champion. News came in on Friday from the International Tennis Integrity Unit that Simona Halep has been provisionally suspended due to the presence of a prohibited substance in a sample she gave while competing at the US Open in August. The banned substance her sample contained was Roxadustat. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I've only 
I've only seen it written down up until this point. Mm. And only for the first time. And only for the first three time. Days ago. We're, we're learning on the job, folks. Uh, it, it's in the same category of banned substances as EPO uh, in WADA's list of banned substances. Uh, while provisionally suspended, Halep is unable to attend any sanctioned tennis events organised by the governing bodies of the sport. Halep had already announced that she was ending her season and undergoing no surgery back on September the 15th. She was informed by the ITIA of her positive test on October the 7th. Uh, Halep responded immediately with her own statement, which reads thus. Today begins the hardest match of my life, a fight for the truth. I have been notified that I have tested positive for a substance called Roxadustat in an extremely low quantity, which came as the biggest shock of my life. Throughout my whole career, the idea of cheating never even crossed my mind once, as it is totally against all the values I've been educated with. Facing such an unfair situation, I feel completely confused and betrayed. I will fight until the end to prove that I never knowingly took any prohibited substance and I have faith that sooner or later the truth will come out. It's not about the titles or the money, it's about honour and the love story I have developed with the game of tennis over the last 25 years. Simona. Um, she's received quite a lot of support from her fellow players. She's She's been such a popular player on the tour um, for the last decade and more, so... It's no surprise, I don't think, that so many players have come out to support her. Darren Cahill, uh, her former coach, of course, has also put out a statement, a very strong one. His statement reads thus, Even though I'm no longer working with Simona, I'd like to speak clearly to the person I know and the athlete that I worked with for six years. Firstly, and most importantly, there is no chance Simona knowingly or purposely took any substance on the banned list. None. Zero. She is an athlete that stressed about anything prescribed to her by a medical professional, which was rarely, or about any supplement that she used or considered. Simona wore out the words, please double check this, triple check this to make sure it's legal, safe and permitted. If you're not sure, I'm not taking it. We both believe in the ITIA testing programme and would often discuss the number of times she was tested both at tournaments and randomly. She did it without complaint with the reassurance of knowing other athletes were being tested just as frequently. Competing against clean athletes was important to her. It's important to everyone. And while the system is not perfect, it works. Simona's integrity is faultless. She respects her peers, she loves the game and she always has her feet firmly planted on the ground as a humble, approachable champion. I have sat proudly in awe of the person that she has matured into, watching the compassion she has shown others. I'm not talking about the stuff the tennis world gets to see. I'm speaking about the kindness and care that very few are fortunate to experience, the kind of actions that are done for love and not for publicity. Honesty has always been her greatest strength and her biggest weakness. We would often laugh about the fact she can't act and tell a little white lie, ask her a question in a press conference and she will blurt out an honest answer. She wears her mood on her shoulder for the world to see, for good and for bad. That is Simo. What you see is what you get. She built an amazing career and legacy by doing things the hard way, the right way. Due process will now follow to reveal answers to many questions. As Simona said, the hardest match of her life starts now. I believe in her. I always have and can honestly say never more than right now on this particular issue. I stand with Simo. Look, there's not a lot we can say on the matter, quite frankly. There will be... Um, as Starren Cahill points out their due process, we expect that process to take a little bit of time, potentially quite a lot of time. Um, lawyers will be involved on both sides, I'm sure. Um, it's obviously terrible news for the sport, as as any, any doping case, whatever the outcome is. Um, it caps off an incredibly rocky 
roller coaster 2022 for Simona Halep. Yes, there have there have been some highs on the court, most notably a return to the world's top ten, a title in Toronto at 1,000 levels, some some real highs, but also some lows and also some out of character, bizarre seeming moments. You know the 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 sacking or the 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 parting with a number of her team members that have been so close to her and such a part of her team for for a very, very long time. That panic attack she suffered at, at the French Open. Obviously, there's absolutely no judgment from us about that. We're very pleased that she she spoke so candidly about it. But in her own words, that was out of character for her. Um, she, she had the surgery in September um to to deal with uh, a nose issue but there was also a cosmetic element to it again no judgment it, these are just events that are unusual for Simona Halep it's been it's been quite a year she divorced um her husband last month didn't she it's been it's been a lot the last 12 months for Simona Halep a, a player that we associate with stability i think and it's just it's just all very discombobulating this isn't it Matt it is, yeah, and as you said, it's 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 damaging for the sport. I think it's the highest profile case since Maria Sharapova's six seven years ago, um, and it did it did come as a big shock. But then at the same time, we've been thinking about Simona Halep a lot this year, haven't we? And absolutely, as you said, within the context of her year, this is another moment of kind of professional and personal upheaval which her whole mm. season has been defined by so perhaps perhaps in any other year it might have been even more shocking yeah and that's pretty much all we can say on the matter quite frankly other than to to tell you that of course we'll keep you updated with uh, with any developments it's it's significant she's a former world number one two-time grand slam champion much beloved figure within the sport so We'll keep you posted, folks, and we will move on to talk about tennis, balls being hit, forehands, backhands, um, tennis courts that may or may not have been in place in time for the, the tournaments, uh, tournaments starting. We're going to start in Guadalajara, uh, the biggest tournament taking place this week on the women's side, 1,000 tournament. And finally, we can stop talking about Jessica Pagula in unsexy terms like consistency and reliability and we can talk about her as the winner of a WTA 1000 title it's her second career title I hadn't really realized that she hadn't won a title since that breakthrough in in Washington in 2019 when she brought herself to all of our attention it's her first title since then and by far her biggest at 1000 level she beat Maria Sakkari in the final 6-2, 6-3. Um, there was a lot of moving and shaking throughout the week in terms of the WTA finals. We'll talk about that shortly. But let's talk first about Jessica Pagula and her consistent raising the bar on herself, Matt. Mm. You said it there and she said it herself. She has become the story this week. And so often... She's not the main story. And I'm so pleased for her that she's got that because, first of all, I just like Jessica Pagula. I think everyone does. There's been a real sort of outpouring amongst players and sort of really congratulating her. And obviously Coco Goff, her doubles partner, sort of leading the way with that. But this was this was an incredible week for Pagula because she beat Maria Sakkari in the final, which which we'll talk about but her four matches before that were all against Grand Slam champions. You know, she started her week beating Elena Rybakina, this year's Wimbledon champion, saving three match points mm. in that one, which always just gives you a good feeling, I think, about a player. There are so many examples of players saving match points in early rounds and then going on to win. But yet her draw just remained really, really tough. She then had to beat Bianca Andrescu, Sloane Stevens, and Victoria Azarenka before Sakari in the final. That was a that's a really tough section. And she came through it. And honestly, I'm gonna be unbearable here. I picked Jessica Pagula at the start of the week. And the reason I did that was because Igor Fiontek was not in the draw. And if we just look at this season 
Iga Swiatek has been such a big obstacle for Jessica Bagula. She's beaten so many other players and lost to Swiatek four times. And I just watched Pagula in San Diego last week. I thought she's playing really well. Doesn't have to deal with Swiatek this week. Tough draw or not, this is still a chance for her. And she stepped up. I also picked her because I thought she liked playing at altitude because she reached the Madrid final earlier this year. She then said in her post-match interview on the court after winning the trophy that she considered not even coming to Guadalajara because she thinks she doesn't like playing at altitude. And she's had some bad experiences, I think, in the US at altitude before. But yeah, it all it all came together for her this week. And um, I'm so, so pleased about that. So, it feels like the just reward for her season, really. So what you've done there is not only brag about your prediction, <laughs> but also explain in detail how it wasn't just a stroke of luck. It was a really mm. clearly thought out, methodical pick, and you are excellent. Mm. Unbearable, right? <laughs> <laughs> and there's no David to go to. <laughs> oh, I've got to go back to you for the next one. David picked Andrescu, who is seeing an uptick in form, isn't she? And and I think losing to, to Pagula, how much of that match did you did you watch? I'd watched Andrescu's previous match and highlights of her match before that. The opponents in both of which I seem to be blanking on. Uh, but I was re- Kvitova was the opening round match, wasn't it? I uh, watched quite a bit of that uh, three-setter and then she won a, another one afterwards, which escapes me. Uh but then ran into Pagula and uh, I, I was starting to fancy Andrescu in that one and I, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna be able to avoid using unsexy words here, but just she doesn't lose to players lower ranked than her, Jessica Pagula. And that is increasingly many players because she's up to, to world number three now. And some people will point out, okay, but Iga Shiontek wasn't wasn't there this week, on Jabot wasn't there this week. Well, okay, but pretty much everyone loses to Iga Svantec. that is you know if that's a caveat then fine I don't think it's a particularly big one um mm-hmm. you know she's how high can she go well I think that's the that's the interesting question isn't it because kind of all throughout Pagula's career I've thought well how much better can she get because it's not like you look at her game and you think there are really obvious elements to get loads better because she's mm. really no, good at everything. Absolutely no weaknesses. Yeah, I mean, she could probably have a bigger serve, but it's it's quite hard to sort of magic up a bigger serve. I sort of look at some players and think, well, if they could harness all that power or if they could just come up with a sort of more defined winning formula, that, that could take them to the next level. But Pagula's sort of already got kind of everything and I've just always felt, well, how much better can she get? And yet she's con- consistently just raised the bar and raised the bar. And I think what would be interesting here is what this does for her confidence, you know, because finally winning a big title must be a big relief. I think she spoke about it at the US Open, didn't she, when she lost to Svantec, that it sucked constantly losing to Svantec. You know, she's pleased that she's getting to the quarterfinals of slams. She's the American number one. But also it was beginning to take its toll a bit. And look, if, if she's going to win big titles, bigger titles than this, Grand Slams, for example, she probably is going to have to figure out a way to beat Igor Svantec. But at the same time, she's been a bit unlucky with her draws and constantly run in to top seeds in the quarterfinals. And it's possible that Svantec, you know, loses which sounds like an absurd thing to say because she kind of barely ever loses but she might go out early and Pagula would be right there to take advantage if that does happen and I I also think what's interesting is that Pagula has actually stood out for her consistency sometimes sometimes players get lost because of their consistency because consistency isn't sexy as we as we say on this podcast yeah Kudamitova for example who you know, it, 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 I was really shocked to see a couple of weeks ago how firmly in the running she was for a WTA finals place. And mm. I, I shouldn't have been shocked because she's been a real fixture of the year. But we haven't talked about her on the podcast very much, has mm. we? have we? Because she her consistency is, has been a bit lost. Yeah, whereas Pagula's, I think everyone has felt like she was on the maybe on the cusp of doing something like this. There's always been that that idea that maybe 
her, her time was going to come and it just felt like it did this week um and i also think i also think players on the atp side probably get lost a bit more for consistency you know in this in this wta era that we're in there is something about being consistent which does make you stand out because it's quite a lot of players veer in terms of week in mm. week out with their results but pagula's just been just been there all year and i thought the final against sakari was just a perfect demonstration of someone in pagula who is totally confident in their game at ease with what they're doing no, knows what she is as a tennis player is very calm on court versus sakari who had a really big week in guadalajara which which we'll talk about but was so tight in that final, couldn't control her forehand and is still searching. Whereas I think Pagula has has just found a real rhythm, a real sweet spot, a real confidence. And yeah, she's she's been fantastic. And her last four losses before this, I figured out, had all come to eventual champions in tournaments. So you've, you've had to be really good to beat Jessica Pagula for a long, long time. And... And now she's done it. And winning in winning in Guadalajara looks fun. She got uh, she got brought to Margarita in her press conference. Yes, uh, Margarita in her press conference. Excellent hat mm. in the trophy ceremony. <laughs> if I could choose a uh, a country to win a title in, I think it would be Mexico. I think it would be Mexico. Yeah. yeah. Although Maria Sacchari's hat was a bit jazzier than. Jessica Pagula's her sombrero. Anyway, maybe they felt like she needed perking up a bit. And she does look delighted in the pictures, Maria Sacchari. If anything is going to pep up a loser, <laughs> I do think it is a, a jolly sombrero. Uh, more on Maria Sacchari in just a moment. Just, uh, just a moment. I just wanted to point out that um, uh, it was tweeted quite widely, including by uh, Opta, uh, who do the 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 stats for the WTA, uh, that Jessica Pagula is now the player with the most WTA 1000 wins over the last two seasons uh, with 37. I think that's actually now up to 38, isn't it? Because that was after the the semi-final win of Pagula. And uh, Jessica Pagula, who's now Jessie Pagula on Twitter. So maybe we need to have a conflab and decide what we'll call her going forward. Anyway... She quote tweeted this and said, if you told me five years ago when I couldn't string two matches together that I would have this stat, uh, mind blown emoji, she said, you can always improve. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And she is. She is an inspiration in that regard, isn't she? Finding ways to improve when it, exactly as you've just described, doesn't necessarily from the outside look that there look like there there are areas for further optimization in her game well she she works and works and she finds those areas um in terms of maria sacchari what's the balance here of positives and negatives because reaching a final is a is a big deal for her certainly one of this level she has been in the wilderness really since reaching the Indian Indian Wells final back in back in March, where she also was incredibly tight against Iga Swiatek, um, but as you say, it was it was not a good performance in the final. It was a it was a final performance that affirmed all of our slightly more worrying feelings mm. about Maria Sakkari. So where do you where do you land on this for her? It, it feels to me overall like a really well like a good week. I, I see it as sort of maybe two steps forward, one step back, because she has secured her qualification for the for the WTA finals and she had to do it in the most dramatic, sort of nerve-wracking fashion, which was a, basically a sudden death match between her and Kudamatova. The winner would go through to the finals. And for some, for someone who has a reputation for not being particularly good in tight moments or in really big matches... She played the big moments brilliantly in that match. She won 14 of the 15 break points that there were in that match. And she did so well in that. And then in the semi-final, which was played over two days because of some rain, again, she did well to reach the final. And there were just really great reactions from her throughout the whole week. She beat Danielle Collins and gave her a massive fist pump afterwards. And I just loved seeing that emotion and just how much she wanted to be at the WTA finals it was all great and and she stepped up but then it got to the final and I was thinking okay maybe 
maybe those big wins have released her or unleashed her in a way. But but no, it was back to the Maria Sacri that we've seen, as you said, since Indian Wells. Just Anki Othavong was on the commentary and was really bigging up her serve after two games. And then, as Anne said herself, oh, it was like the commentator's curse because it just fell to pieces after that. So many double faults. Um, it was quite easy for Pagula to just play her natural game. Um, lots and lots of errors from Sakari. She had a brief fight back at the end when I thought she was going to... Well, I didn't actually think she would, but it was... <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe she might do a Miami on Pagula, whereas, of course, last year in Miami, she saved all those match points. Mm. She she broke back when Pagula was serving for the match. But honestly, it, it never felt like she was going to really be able to string it together consistently and and it ended up being a pretty disappointing final performance after a really great week so Mm. I end up feeling the thing with the thing with the Sakari and this is not science this is just the feeling I have watching her now and I, I really enjoy watching her play I've got a lot of time for her I find her very compelling but I I feel anxious when she goes ahead in the score and I feel more confident in her mm. when she goes behind in the score. And I actually think it's an immense testament to Jessica Bagula that there wasn't really a, a Sakari fight back mm. because I was thinking, oh, well, she's she's down and out here, Sakari. This is ripe territory <laughs> for her to to stage a mini comeback of, of some kind. Um, and while that's great, you know, those fighting qualities... Um, that's great. And it's one of the things that makes her so compelling. And that match against Pagula in Miami last year will live so, so long in my mind where she saved those six match points. Um, I don't think it's necessarily big picture for her career a good thing. And I do, you know, again, we're, we're on the sort of technical territory that we're not quite qualified to be on. Uh, but I do think there is something in her technique which is problematic when she gets tight. Um, mm. And I, I don't know if it's possible to overcome that. I, maybe. I honestly don't know. And I just think if you are a top player, you need to be a good front runner mm. because chances are your your level generally will get mm. you in the lead in a lot there, of there matches. There is no top player that's not a good front right, runner, I exactly. don't think. And even just at my extremely low level of tennis I would always play better when I was down in the score mm. because it was it just was mentally much easier trying to close out wins and stay ahead when you are ahead I think that in many ways is the mark of mm. real mental strength we sometimes think of it as the opposite I yeah. think battling back and fighting spirit oh, yeah. mental strength I go I go three love up and I think, oh, God, I can only blow it from here. <laughs> right. You get all those, all that self-doubt creeps in, even yeah. though it shouldn't because you're in the yeah. lead and whatever. But yeah, yeah she, well, it makes me think of um, Daniela Hantikova when someone wins a set six love, she shakes her head always and goes, that is the worst, <laughs> worst scoreline to win a set by. Um, but she has, Zachary, secured qualification for the WTA finals and... As opposed to all other tournaments that she's played of late, where she goes in as one of the favoured top seeds, with all the pressure that accompanies that, she goes in as the lowest seed Mm. for the WTA finals. And maybe that'll put a different spin on it for her. She's the eighth qualifier. The field is now set. In seventh spot is Stary Kazakina. Uh, Sixth spot, Irina Sabalenka. Fifth spot is Caroline Garcia. Uh, Fourth spot, Coco Goff. Third spot, Jessica Begula. Second, Ons Jabeur. And top spot, obviously, Igor Svantec. Yeah, so the last five there, I think, all secured qualification during Guadalajara at one point or another during the week. And Goff is there in singles and doubles as an 18-year-old. That is amazing. It was a point... um, Point Ben Rothenberg made on Twitter this week, one that we've actually discussed before on the podcast, that she was kind of overhyped. Maybe not overhyped, but there was so much hype around Goff when she did what she did in 2019 at Wimbledon as a 15-year-old. And then kind of since then, she's actually maybe 
in a way been underhyped because mm. we've maybe just got used to her being so good as a as a teenager and inexperienced but still having good results and improving her game and and now it's like she's qualified for the season ending finals in singles and doubles still only 18 that should be a massive deal mm. so i'm trying to i'm trying to make it one and <laughs> you know i just think it's 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 an incredible achievement yeah, and she's going to then go to Glasgow and play yeah. Beijing King Cup finals with Jessica Pagula as well. And I love that they've got one another yes. in that. That's obviously going to be an incredible, incredibly tight turnaround and exhausting. But I, I imagine it also being this incredible, exhilarating road trip type mm. experience as well. I would, I would love to be on that. That I think that's a really good point, actually, about them having... I hadn't thought about that, but that does make it... Having one another. Yeah, that yeah. does make what is going to be a very tough stretch physically, emotionally, mentally. I, will, mm. I do think that will make it easier. I wonder whether... I guess they'll be in different groups, won't they, if they're the third and fourth seeds, mm. which, again, might help. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it's it's sort of, you know... Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants. <laughs> Don't you always WTA watch style. that on the plane to Australia? No. I thought you did. No. <laughs> no, genuinely not me. Okay. Do you the... know somebody that always watches the Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants when travelling like, to Australia? I feel like I do. I thought it was you. Who else do we know that always travels David. to David. <laughs> it definitely isn't David. Could it be Simon Briggs? <laughs> Well, he's not here to defend himself. Let's so. go with Briggs. I'm not sure, Matt, that Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants is always available on no, commercial airlines. No, it is. It's always, it's always, you, you always have much higher hopes for what the films are going to be. And it's always the Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants. <laughs> so many people listening have never heard of this film, have they? <laughs> David's listening going, oh my God, I'm never going on holiday again. <laughs> Uh, anything, any other business from Guadalajara? I gave a nod to Andrescu earlier. I think it feels like actually the season's going to end at slightly the wrong time for Andrescu because she's building a bit of momentum, but hopefully she can carry that into the off season. I love that, you know, Sven Grunewald and her team have, they've all stuck together through the highs and the lows mm. of, of this year. And, um, I think that stability is important for her and I really hope she's able to have a good off season, stay fit which she has for a long time, and just come out with a bang at the start of 2023. A big yes, please, big to that. yes, please. I, w- I would also flag uh, Victoria Azarenka as someone who I'm really struggling to understand as a oh, tennis player at the we, moment. We had a big chat about this on the WhatsApp group, didn't we? All, all I've really got is that she seems to come to our attention at the end of the season. For the last three years, if you think 2020, it was after the COVID break, you know, towards mm. the end of the season, she really did well. Last year, it was Indian Wells, which was played in October, where she got to the final and played one of the matches of the year against Balossa there. And now in Guadalajara, I didn't think her tennis was always brilliant. But what what she had was an intensity and an engagement in matches that was Azarenka at her best. And... I've seen some Azarenka matches this year where that's really been missing and her game has been missing completely. And yet she was she was pretty, pretty good this week. Beat Coco Goff um, in a match which improved as it went on, I felt. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't get the Raducanu match from Cincinnati out of my head. Where Just, she looked... You know, Awful. barely a club player. Right. Yeah. I think of that one, I think about that really strange retirement against Linda Fruvitova uh, mm. in Miami earlier this year. And that's that's obviously unfair to her because she's, she's still capable of brilliance and great results. But the, there are there is the bizarre yeah. in there as well. And I never know which one is going to come right. in any given week. Even on a budget... Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel. And Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Let's move on to the ATP events that took place this week. Three of them, all of all at two fifty level. Um, let's start, shall we, in Antwerp, Belgium, where the title was won by Felix Auger Aliassi, making it back to back titles for the Canadian. He beat Seb Sebi Sebastian Corda back to back finals for him six three six four in yesterday's final. It's a third career title for Auger-Aliassime and crucially three final wins on the bounce now for him after uh, eight in a row lost or maybe it was nine certainly eight I think he might have won on on the ninth try Um, and I'm going to do a David now and tell you I so nearly predicted Auger-Aliassime to win did you hover I hovered (laughs) over Auger-Aliassime and I I found it I I was on the precipice where I was considering he will either lose first round because he won last week and he's tired and the turnaround is quick and maybe his motivation had dropped off a bit, especially as he's he's playing this week and he's chasing down a qualification spot for uh, for the ATP finals. Or he'll continue, he'll keep up the momentum and obviously go on and keep winning and I just couldn't decide where I fell mm. on that and now of course now that he's won it seems so obvious that he was going to keep it up and go on and win again but apparently it wasn't quite obvious enough to me last Tuesday <laughs> um but he is the the yes it's only another ATP 250 win etc cetera, etc cetera. it's not it's not doing anything he's not done before and yet it does feel like ticking off of a, a small milestone for mm. Felix Auger-Aliassime. And the thing is, that finals record he had was so bad mm. that he needed more than just one or two wins in finals, I think, to make you believe that he's turned it around. And he's got that now with his third title. And just the jitters have gone in in the finals. You know, he, he used to come out in finals looking tight and nervous and right from the start against Corder he was none of those things and he's playing with real confidence at the moment I think he thrives indoors Mm. I think he I mean all of his titles have been indoors and just the conditions seem to suit him I think he can impose himself he he strikes me as a very ordered tennis Mm. player I wonder if just sort of the slightly more controlled environment Mm. of indoors suits him I can believe that yeah, he he had a great week. I know you watched him against Dan Evans. I did, yeah, and I I, I was really interested in that matchup because again, ordered tennis player. I wasn't sure if he would enjoy the chaos of mm. Dan Evans and the disruption, and I absolutely knew that Dan Evans would enjoy that dynamic of him being the disruptor to the the slight the the more polished yes. Um, game of Felix Auger-Aliassime and that was exactly how it played out for for a set and a half really Dan Evans very much on top real bit between his teeth just loving playing that role and Auger-Aliassime getting uh, increasingly frustrated and looking like that sort of malfunctioning robot that he he can look like on occasion Um, 
and I find all that being the case makes it all the more impressive that he turned that match around. And I'm not sure he would have done a year ago. I think that was another little marker of, mm. of you know, not leaps and bounds pro- progress, but this incremental progress that he does seem to be making now. I was very impressed that he turned that match around. And actually, it was quite a one-sided third set, 6-2, I think, in the end, um, and really just found a way to impose himself, which is not easy on Dan Evans, who really just makes people feel small I think <laughs> on the other end of the court um I, I thought it was a very impressive win actually yeah, I did and he 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 raised his game in that second set tie break didn't he an absolutely stunning uh forehand mm. passing shot to oh, win it there were a couple of those weren't yeah there? and I think he then he then beat Richard Gasquet who appears to be back <laughs> <laughs> yes and and those were two tie breaks as well very difficult to know where Richard Gasquet's back as a sort of headline grabber should should sit in our agenda. I, think I mean, around about here, around here. Yeah, we've got it right. Yeah, I think so. Okay, a bit, a bit lost in the middle. Um, yeah, Richard Gasquet's back, folks. Honestly, he played really well this <laughs> he <did>. week. <laughs> he played a match against David Goffin, which yes. was real. I mean, it was lovely. It was a lovely tennis match. Yeah, David Goffin in Belgium. Mm. You know who? Okay. Certainly Davis Cup David Goffin is a mm. kind of a different beast to tour David Goffin even. He's really good in that tournament. I just backed David Goffin to do well in Belgium. It did feel Gasquet like watching a, a black and white movie, it, yeah. didn't it? In a lovely, <laughs> comforting way. Um, but, it, yeah, it felt weirdly retro. But, yeah, Gasquet's back, folks. Uh, uh, Rafael Nadal will be quaky in his boots. <laughs> Um, a really encouraging week for Dominic Team. Oh, yes. I think I am, really encouraging. I am feeling really good about Dominic Team's 2023. Oh, so good! I think it's, it's not I just was going to be more tentative than that. Oh, I was no. going to be a bit heart overhead. And oh, I'm, say, oh I I'm feeling really good. It's not just that he's winning matches again, and he beat Hubert Hercatch here, yeah, which is seven a six in the third. Brilliant as well. win! It's the way he's winning it, and if you go back. Just a few months to how how shot his confidence was, mm. and he just wasn't he wasn't trusting himself on the forehand. I think, and when it really mattered against Hercatch, he went after the forehand, and whenever he did it, I was just pumping, fist pumping. The, for, was, the forehand's great. the barometer now, isn't it? The the backhand seems to be back. To yes, me. and he hit an incredible backhand in the tiebreak, backhand return oh. winner up the line mm. from. Way back, I see it in my dreams. Yeah, your brother said, "Who's watching? <laughs> Who's watching? Team hit backhands like it's 2020." And we were all like, "Yes, we all are." Um, but the forehand is the one that it, it sort of lets you know how he's feeling. Yeah, I about think his so. game, and it's just got better and better as as the weeks have have gone on. I think he's playing in Vienna this week. Obviously, that home tournament. Mm. He's played a lot of tennis in the last couple of weeks, way more than he has done for a while because he's been winning more i'm not going to get worried this is what i'm saying if he if he tails off a bit now in the last couple of events of the year i just think he's set up for a much better 2023 and you're you're okay about the timing of the off season for him you don't think oh he's finally getting up some momentum this is a an unfortunate time to be having a break there probably is some of that but then i guess i would be most excited about team in the clay court season i know he's i know he's won actually his his biggest tournaments on hard court he has become a very good hard court player i still think he's kind of most comfortable on on clay and i just think if he's got two or three months of next year to build up to that clay season he could be he could be in a really good place I'm so here for Dominic Team and Bianca Andreescu oh, it's, it's a game changer to have a big yeah both of them yeah actually them getting properly back is a game changer for both mm. tours actually i think and i'm i'm utterly here for it uh moving on to stockholm now another really great event that mm. were it at a different time of the season might get a bit more attention i don't know but fantastic atmospheres particularly when swedish players play mikhail immer generated 
really, really electric atmospheres when he played his matches in Stockholm last week. It's sort of a, a sunken court, really well attended, really well run. Just, just one of those great ATP 250s that probably doesn't get the limelight it deserves. One this year for the first time by Holger Rune uh, for his second career ATP title. He beat Stefano Sitsipas 6-4, 6-4 in the final. Rune is uh, is definitely happening to some extent, isn't he? And gosh, I think this will hurt for Sitsipas to start start being beaten. Well, not start being beaten, to continue to be beaten by the next, 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 next gen. You know, mm-hmm. Alcaraz, Rune... This was not the script for Sitsipas. No, I think you're right. I think it is weird for Sitsipas to be losing to someone like Huruna, younger than him. I think I think they get on well enough. You know, they both came through the Muratoglu Academy. Um, I just think it must make Sitsipas question quite a lot. And I think Sitsipas is a maybe an overthinker about that sort of thing. And I remember when he lost to Runa at Roland Garros, we were in that press conference and I asked... Was it in room two? Yes. That press conference? It was. And I asked Tsitsipas about his racket that he had, or his equipment change, which he said... Oh, I'm having flashbacks now. And and he refused to answer that question. (laughs) So suddenly I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to think of another one then. It was a wonderful pivot from Matt Roberts, folks. (laughs) Matt said, well, can I have another question then? (laughs) And uh, reluctantly I was given one. So I quickly thought of, well, this dynamic, losing to a younger player. And I think his sort of just reaction there said everything. It it hurts losing to a younger Mm. player. He should be the exciting young talent. He was that. And... He's not been overtaken by Runa. You know, Sitsipas has won, I think, over 50 matches on tour this year. He's been he's had a really consistent season, but he's not winning a lot of the big matches. His record he, he in would finals swap now is the poor. Consistency f- he would. For, for a, a slam, a slam final, even. Right. And I think we have to judge him on that. You know, we have to judge him on the biggest matches and the biggest moments because he's that good a player that he deserves mm. that sort of analysis I think and he got pretty comprehensively outplayed by Runa who I really enjoyed watching this week he fought through against Nori he fought through mm. against Dumanor he's got such a fast arm hasn't he so fast unbelievable he can, he can generate yeah ridiculous power and his matches are like they're like highlight reels really I mean he does consistently just come up with shots that take you back and yet he he fought through tight moments he you know and then he put it all together and played a flawless final against Sitsipas absolutely flawless but I just think Sitsipas he's almost becoming a bit predictable I think Mm. in in both what his results might be you know you back him to do well but you don't back him to win the whole thing and just his game I think players are players are realizing that he can't can't really hurt them quite so much off that backhand he likes to camp out in that corner and hit forehand so that opens up the other side of the court yeah he, he's got some figuring out to do mm. especially in the in these really big matches when when he's playing players that he would he would be thinking that he can beat it uh it reminded me a little bit of the feel of Grigor Dimitrov getting beaten by Alexander Zverev hmm. in uh, Miami uh some years ago and ha- how much that must have hurt we felt at the time for Dimitrov um and look Dimitrov has had continues to have a fantastic career but as you say we must judge Sitsipas by sort of the own the standards he has for himself Mm. and without question if you offered Dimitrov if you offered Sitsipas Dimitrov's career he's saying no thank you I mean he's already gone on better in terms of slams he's reached a final but yeah he he wants world number one. He wants Grand Slam titles. Consistency is not what he's in this for, as, as impressive as it is on one level. Uh, 10 to 12 matches won since the US Open for Runa. He is, he's happening. Yeah. Um, and again, another one that maybe the off-season will come at the wrong time. Or maybe, you know, given how young he is, he will be able to 
sort of maintain that headspace and get himself even physically stronger uh, in the off-season and be a real force for 2023. Um, Moving on to Napoli. I'm obsessed with this tournament. Mm, I can see the little glint in your (laughs) eye. Why has it taken you so long to get to Napoli, Catherine? Uh, Well, they managed to get the tournament played, folks, so points for that <laughs> finished on time they, incredible they, they had they had the gift of an all italian final which which they I, didn't deserve which i'm not sure they deserved <laughs> but they got it they got lorenzo mazzetti beating matteo berrettini 7-6 6-2 his second career title mazzetti of course he beat carlos alcaraz uh, to win his first career title earlier this year so these are you know these are Pretty big wins for Lorenzo Mazzetti, actually, in, in the two biggest matches of his career so far. Um, would you like to talk about Mazzetti? Would you like to talk about the chaos, Matt? Or maybe you can wrap it all up in one... Okay, I will. I'll start with chaos. <laughs> I thought you might. Yeah, off you go. <laughs> because, honestly, the list of things which happened at this event, we talked about it on the podcast last week, how it wasn't starting on time because they didn't have a court surface and they were having to get one in from Florence. That was just the start of things because, as it turned out, I think it was about three straight days they had to finish early because the sea air, the court was in a beautiful spot, but right next to the sea, and the sea air was making it damp and unplayable. (laughs) Mute was... Just saying, I'm going to break my leg if I play on this court. Um, There was a player who had their belongings just thrown in a pile in the hotel lobby because they had to move rooms twice. There was lots of complaints about the surface. And then just when you think things have all come together and they've got their all-Italian final... You then can't watch the start of the match because some sort of power outage in Napoli means that it just wasn't available to watch on the on the world feed. So tennis TV were just showing just some lovely shots of just some Napoli, of, uh, Mount Vesuvius, Mount Vesuvius. <laughs> the sea. It was just it was lovely, um, but it wasn't the final. And and yet they had the scoreboard in the corner, so you could you reminding could see you that of it was what you were missing out on. Yeah, and yeah. it was like, oh, this looks like. You know, it's a competitive match. Eventually, we got pictures. And Musetti, I was really impressed with him in Florence last week. I thought his tennis was brilliant. And I think I said on the podcast, felt like maybe he'd cracked hard courts, which would be a game changer mm. for him. And then, of course, he had uh, he had that difficult match against Auger Aliassime where he spoke about having the panic attack. Mm. So he sort of finished the week on a low there, but he, he, he was brilliant in Napoli all week. I watched his match against Ketsmanovic, just dreamy shot making from both of them, but from Mazzetti mm. in particular. And I think the big thing with him is his forehand on, on hard court. Just looks like he suddenly has so much more time on the ball. He's got a little bit of an elaborate swing there. And I've always felt like he's really rushed on that shot, but somehow he's improved. I don't know whether it's his court positioning or, just the way he's seeing the ball on on a hard court. But whatever it is, he's made big, big strides. And I'm excited about that because I absolutely love watching him play. He finished against Berrettini, who was injured. Uh, He had a a foot problem, which he battled through in the semifinals and said, everyone was telling me to retire, but I'm sick of retiring. It was really quite sad. I'm worried he's cursed. Yeah, he might be. He might mook of a style. We we do believe there is. Oh, I'm there in, is a curse. Del Potro, Kokinakis, Mukova. I'm worried for Berrettini. Yeah, yeah. But um, Musetti finished the final with a with a flick half volley backhand off his toes into the open court, and it was it was great. And um, yeah, it, actually, it feels like all the winners on the ATP tour this week. Um, a good week for next next gen. Right. Runa, Orgialiasim, Musetti, throw in Alcaraz and Sinner, and that's that's that cohort of players really. Yeah. The the ones after yeah. Rublev, Medvedev. Yeah, Sitsipas. very good point. Uh, Alcaraz is playing in Basel this week, looking for his first tour win. 
since the US Open uh, a few weeks ago. He's the top seed, obviously, as the world number one. Casper Ruud is playing. He's the second seed in uh, soon-to-be-out-of-date tennis news. He plays his opening round, P.S., no buys in Basel. Big fan of that. Mm. Well done, Basel. He plays his opening round match against Jack Draper later on tonight, and we are here for it. Big time. Mm. Draper looked good last yes. week. He absolutely thrashed Jensen Brooksby. Who definitely isn't happening, is he? Only at the US Open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And uh, then he really pushed Hubert Hercatch. So I think that's tough for Alcaraz. First match back. Yeah, I agree. Casper Ruud faces Stan Rinker in round one. We're here for that as well. Uh, we've got Andy Murray against Roman Safuelin. Throwback name. Didn't he win a crucial ATP Cup match? Yes, I think. Wasn't he their new Karatsev this yes. year? Yes. Karatsev was their secret weapon last Imagine year. Imagine being the new Karatsev. And now it was Safuelin. Poor Karatsev. Wasn't that long ago that he was the new Karatsev? <laughs> uh, Alex de Menor faces Holger Rune, um, which of course is a repeat of the semi-final match from last week in Stockholm, which was a real thriller. Uh, and Augelia Seem uh, trying to keep up the momentum, trying to keep up his press for qualification uh, for Turin. He plays uh, Andrea Husler, a Swiss wildcard and recent champion in Sofia. That's where I know the name from. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Again, could be tricky for Ojeda. This maybe this will be the week where he might lose in round one. Maybe I, I'm I'm yet to decide on my prediction. <laughs> I'll 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 browse later in the day. Uh, we also have an ATP 500 event in Vienna where Daniil Medvedev and Stefanos Tsitsipas are the top two seeds. Medvedev starts against Nikolaus Basilashvili in round one. Uh, and just on the subject of Nikolaus Basilashvili, uh, I'm going to read out some uh, tweets from Ben Rothenberg here uh, who reported news from Georgia, Nikolaus Basilashvili, was acquitted of domestic violence charges against him in a ruling by Judge Katuna Karkilava, ending, uh, and there will be a potential appeal here, but ending a two-year proceeding about four separate incidents of alleged abuse against his ex-wife. Ben Rothenberg continues, Basilashvili, who attended some of the hearings remotely while continuing to play on the tour, was in the courtroom for the final parts, including the five-hour-long closing statement by the prosecutor, details of which uh, Ben has listed on his Twitter. He's also given reactions from both sides uh, and the detail that the judge questioned why Nika Dorokashvili did not go to police sooner during their relationship. The prosecution has indicated its intention to appeal the acquittal. Uh, And Ben also points out when he did appear in the courtroom, Basilashvili's celebrity status was clear. Before the verdict, Dorokashvili's lawyer complained that court employees in Tbilisi were posing for photos with Basilashvili during recesses from the hearings. Um, so there are more details on Ben's Twitter about that hearing uh, and about the case if you want to follow uh, in more detail. But uh, Basilashvili acquitted and plays Medvedev in round one in Vienna. The winner of that would play uh, either Dominic Team or Tommy Paul in round two. And you've put an exclamation mark after Tommy Paul's name, Matt. Well, after Team versus Paul. Oh, okay. Yes, great. Which is a second exclamation mark, maybe, worthy round one match in a row for Paul because he, he oh, played yes. Leo Borg last And week. lost to Leo Borg? Beat him. Oh, was, lost, was lost losing. Yeah. Lost a set to Leo Borg. Yeah. Leo Borg, who I believe all of his ATP Tour matches have been against Tommy Paul. Yes. All, all, only two of them. <laughs> but he got a lot closer this time. Andy Murray voice. Uh, <laughs> Stefano Sitsabas starts against Denis Novak and could play Borna Choric in round two. Of course, that would be a repeat of the Cincinnati final. Uh, so no buys in Vienna either. Big fan of that. We've also got Rublev Schwartzman, Berrettini Evans and uh, Herkatch Tiafo 
round ones in Vienna. And that's your that's your week ahead in tennis. Obviously, a week off for the WTA as they gear up for um, Fort Worth, which starts over the weekend. We'll be back uh, with a preview of that, obviously, next Monday. And then we will have dailies for you from the end of the group stage onwards. So end of group stage, semi-finals and finals from Guadalajara. That'll also inco- incorporate the... Uh, ATP Masters 1000 event happening in Paris, which I'll be covering for Amazon Prime Video. Uh, Lots to come, folks. Matt's going to be going to the Billie Jean King Cup Finals in Glasgow, and we'll be doing daily pods from there. Going to go to Malaga as well. My first time in Scotland, which is wild. Wow. Well, first time setting foot. I have driven briefly across the border, but didn't actually get out of the car. Well... Matt visits Scotland, folks. <laughs> it's uh, it's a feature waiting to happen. Uh, watch this space. Uh, we have a mascot for this week, and that is Milo. Milo is a two-year-old beagle, very all, born almost exactly the same time as Billie Jean, who um, has accompanied us throughout this recording and has actually done a very good job of staying quiet because she's ever so excited about Matt being here. She keeps trying to get his attention with various different treats and Matt is uh, being uber professional. But no, Milo is our mascot. Milo was born in October 2020, owned by parents of the pod's listeners, uh, of pod listeners, Fraser Marnie's fiancé. Right. Does Fraser Marnie's fiancé have a name? Yes, but it hasn't been given to me. Not disclosed. I would like to uh, maintain their anonymity. Fair enough. Uh, Milo, though, no such luck. I've got looking at a picture of Milo right here and he is wearing a bow tie. Oh, yes. Very into that. In fact, it's a collar. It's a proper collar. I think it's tweed uh, and it has a bow tie and it's it's all just excellent. Lava beagle. I believe they are... um, you have to be quite energetic owners to have a beagle. A lot of energy, but they're uh, they're lovely, lovely dogs. Uh, and Milo will feature in our newsletter, which you should def- definitely subscribe to. Uh, and of course, if you want to uh, enter our incredible competition to win two tip- tickets to the semi-finals of the Billie Jean King Cup finals by Gamebridge in Glasgow, accompanying Matt on his debut visit to Scotland. Uh, then you need to become a friend of the pod before the competition closes on Thursday. Uh, we have our mascots. Obviously, Matt has already disclosed that he's uh, done the business with the dearly departed Gerald. I've got Carter. Hello, Carter. David has Darwin. Uh, Billy Jean uh, is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our executive producers and top blokes, Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner. And we've got shout-outs, Matt. We do. We have Jen Amadeo from Ooh. Wilton, Connecticut. That's a great name, Jen. Mm. That should be on movie posters, I think. And uh, Jen, Jenny, Jennifer, Jen, oh. as we know, a tennis name. But, yeah, there's... Oh, what she exists. Thank you, Jen, for reminding us mm. about Jen, Jenny, Jennifer Brady. Uh, and thank you for your support as well. We've also got Barbara Courtney in Los Gatos, California. Oh, that sounds like a nice place to be. Mm. Uh, hello, hello, Barbara. Like Barbara Shett. Yes. <laughs> Are you going to go with a different one? Isn't isn't uh, the other Fruvit? No, that's Brenda. Brenda. Mm. There's a there's obviously Barbara. Yes. Yes. Don't think that counts. Barbara Jordan won the Australian Open, I believe. That is a man that spans a lot of time on Wikipedia compiling stats. Yes. Folks. Yes. Barbara Jordan is an Australian Open winner. Well, thank you to Barbara Courtney for being a friend of the pod. Who's our last shout out, Matt? We have Taj Moore in New Jersey, USA. Oh, Taj. Home of the Boss. Home of the Boss. You know, Bruce has got a um, a new song out, mm. which is called Night Shift, mm. which is a sort of cover of the Commodore's classic. And because of Denis Shapovalov, I keep thinking it's called Night Train. 
He spoiled Bruce for I you. I know. Whenever it comes on, I think he's going he's gonna to say night train, but no, he doesn't. He says <laughs> night shift. And I, I hate that that has happened, but it's, it's where we Bruce's are. Do you think Bruce's next single will be drip, drip. A, 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 a riff on drip? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> he, is, he is into covers at the moment. He is, isn't he? Oh, God. Um, right then, Taj. Thank you ever so much for your support. Uh, and for being a friend of the pod, you should become a friend of the pod. Obviously, you should subscribe to the newsletter. Leave us an Apple podcast review. We will be back next week, folks. Thank you for listening. We'll speak to you then. 